Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. And John, we're looking at an article titled, Why Are Regency-Era Shows Like Bridgerton So Popular? So we talk about Bridgerton a lot in this podcast, and we compare it to Jane Austen. We we talk about race relations and I guess how, how actors uh, who are minorities are on Bridgerton and how that's been influenced by Hamilton. Talk about a lot of subjects related to Bridgerton. Um, what did you like about this podcast, John? Um, I like the end because I like talking about the actual show, you know, uh, it's hard for me because I can't, it's been a little bit since I've watched the show, but plus the characters names are just like right over my head. Like I have no clue who anybody is. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say that part. And, and you are more of a season one Bridgerton person, right? And I'm more of yeah, a season for two sure. person. Yeah. For me, season one has, like, I think those characters are really good. Um, and also the the reveal. I like trying to figure out like who who is this person like who's you know doing like the the voice like the gossip girl thing. Um, especially because back then publishing no easy feat. So it's like okay, whoever's doing this is pulling off uh, like a Ocean's Eleven, you know, getting this thing printed and passed out to people with nobody knowing who it could be. Um, I would think that would be a pretty uh, pretty tough putt back in the. Uh, 18, uh, 18 aughts. The Regency era, right? And we talk about that. We, we defined the Regency yeah. era at the beginning of this podcast, this 1811 to 1820 time period. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, we, we're both history teachers, but we don't really teach British history. So that was, that was interesting to get from the article, informative. Uh, yeah, for me, with the Lady Whistledown character, I totally agree. I thought they revealed her way too fast on the show. But I also really liked how in season two, she is, you're seeing the, the background, like how she makes connections with all the servants and has these, these, these conversations. I thought that was pretty cool. So we had a little bit of a disagreement, but also agreeing on the, the early reveal of Lady Whistledown. And we talk about at the, at the yeah. end, who we think, um, we, who do we, who we want season three to focus on even though john's probably out on season three so <laughs> we'll but we'll see about that yeah yeah you'll have to let me know how it goes oh man you're you're totally out on it <laughs> i think so i mean i'll probably i'll probably watch it just because usually with shows i'll kind of stick it out you know like even if i kind of feel it's played out or it's not my thing like that much if I've watched a couple of seasons, usually I'll just kind of keep watching it. All right. Well, hopefully you watch season three. I, I see why you'd be out. I wonder, you know, you wonder this about shows. How many seasons can it last? Because I know season two of Bridgerton had the second most watches right behind. Uh, what was the show called again, John? The popular show? My guy, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. I was just talking to my students about it today. So Stranger Things. Yeah, I should know this, right? So Stranger Things is at like 200 million and Bridgerton's at something like 193 million. So these are really popular shows, but at some point you see a decline and it's because of the writing usually, but I, maybe a lot of people are like you, you know, two seasons is enough. And let's see, I, I think personally, they should just pump these shows out faster because yeah. Because that's how we watch shows now. And I don't I don't see why they don't. I mean, maybe it's just hard to write, but I think yeah, and plus some of them are like I know Stranger Things is really expensive. Like I, I can't remember what the statistic is on like 
how much they spent per episode, but it's a ton. And that show kind of has a thing where they, the whole thing is like this 80s vibe. And so it seems like each season they pull out like a new, like 80s trope. Like, so this one is talking about like satanic panic kind of a thing. And so it seems like they can always just kind of reach in the well and grab like another thing from the 80s to like, you know, kind of center it around. And, uh, but it does seem like Bridgerton though, they could kind of keep it rolling, I would think, because especially if they keep the, the characters rolling over kind of, you know, like if they bring in new ones or kind of, you know, develop other ones more. I could see that. Well, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We talk about Bridgerton and some interesting themes related to history and Bridgerton. Uh, So thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. Thanks for subscribing if you've subscribed recently. And please share the podcast with a friend if you haven't yet. So thanks for listening to this week's Classics Podcast. We'll see you after the music. Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. So, John, we're finally going to do this Bridgerton podcast. So, Bridgerton, when when did you actually watch it? This recent season? Yeah. It was it was a while ago. Uh, I honestly, I have no idea. You could tell me it was February. You could tell me it was November. I have no idea. I just know it was a long time ago. Yeah, the same for me. So, I, I'm hoping... The article itself isn't really going to go into the show too much, but we'll eventually go and delve into the show. It, it's funny because I've been listening to this Bridgerton podcast. There's actually a few really good ones out there. And I'm almost like living through the show, you know, vicariously through them again. It's kind of fun. I don't know. So there's a, there's a lot out there. One of my students did a, a report saying, what's the show that's really popular with, with teenagers right now? Um uh stranger yeah, things yeah. Uh, stranger things yeah. is it season four right now yeah so i guess the, the bridgerton and stranger things have like close to four 200 million watches or something something insane so these shows yeah. are getting a lot of people to watch them and they're they're hitting on something right yeah well stranger things is great like i i watch that too and the first season I watched it was really cool because the dialogue between the characters, like they were really young, like kids and the dialogue was so spot on for like, it sounded really natural. Like it sounded like kids in my class, you know, like talking. And so I think that's kind of what hooked me in. And it's just kind of like a, kind of like an eighties vibe to it, you know, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There is some, it's a really good show. I think hmm, I got to check it out. I didn't know. I didn't really know what the whole thing was about. But it seems like something to, ch- to check out. So we, we both have watched Bridgerton. And we wanted to discuss the show. But since there are tons of podcasts out there, we decided that looking at Bridgerton from a slightly different angle might be a, a cooler way to, to analyze it. So we're looking at this article. And it's called Why Are Regency Era Shows Like Bridgerton So Popular? And it's from a website that we haven't looked at before, John, Smithsonian. I didn't even realize Smithsonian had a, a website. I know that it's a, it's a popular magazine. Uh, so a little bit of background. The Regency era, because I had to look this up. I mean, we teach history, but for some reason, I don't. Th- we don't teach Regency era, you know? So Yeah. I don't even know. I didn't even know what to call it because it's kind of like 19th century somewhere around there. 
yeah, we have the 19th century, right? And it is it's the beginning of the 19th century. I think of like enlightenment, you know, from, from guess, an American yeah. history perspective. But the Regency era is this period in the early 1800s. So 1811 to 1820. So a regent is basically a substitute monarch. And this is all related to, to Bridgerton because you have a, a crazy king uh, or, or I, I don't know, he, maybe he has Alzheimer's or something. But you have this, you know, a monarch who cannot rule. So the regent takes over. And this is this took place during uh, King George III's his, his monarchy. And so, you know, I didn't know about that. But Bridgerton plays with this idea. So I just thought it was kind of cool because you actually get a real history playing itself into the, the story of Bridgerton. So before we get into it, John, are you like into are you into this era? Are you fascinated by it? Have you watched stuff from this era before? Um, I wouldn't say fascinated, but I mean, I, I like it. Like if I hear, you know, if there's like a show that's set in the time period, I might check it out or, or give it a look. But, um, yeah, like to me, I mean, I'm more, I really like medieval kind of stuff. Um, anything with like, especially like when it kind of gets fantasy a little bit, like anything with the woods and a dragon, like I'm in. And, uh, but I do like this time period though. Like it's all right. I'll check it out. Anything between like. 19th century or early 1900s. Like I really like like Downton Abbey and stuff. Um, so kind of like it is kind of wheelhouse for me. How about you? Yeah, for me, I listed off a few shows here like um, Sanditon. Have you seen Sanditon? No. It's okay. It's sort of Bridgerton light. It's not as good as Bridgerton, but it's a similar genre, similar time period. Poldark, that's my personal favorite. <laughs> that's Shikri's bread you and butter. You couldn't watch it? No, I got one one episode in, and I like I'll, I'm set. Yeah, I, I really liked Poldark, and any, anything related to the founding fathers, the Enlightenment. I think there's a show called The Great on Hulu. I've seen two episodes of it. It's really good, really funny, and it definitely has those Enlightenment themes. I know it won a lot of awards, so that was uh, definitely a critically acclaimed show. So. Let me list off a few of the things, John, that uh, we, I guess the article is kind of, this is a paraphrasing from the article. This sort of relates to the era. So you get eligible singles, horse-drawn carriages, the watchful eyes of rivals, and tea. So this list, is this like, when you see this list, are you all in on it? Because I don't know, for me, that's Bridgerton in a nutshell. And, and when you list it off, it kind of seems silly, but I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but a lot of people are fascinated by this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I hear the list itemized, I just think trash, but but the show does work. I think a lot of it, too, is like the kind of conflict of, um, you know, are you going to are you going to end up with the person that's like right for your social standing or the person that you like who's like from the wrong side of the tracks. It seems like a lot of those, the shows kind of revolve around that, that kind of idea. There's, there's that character Eloise and she, there's a working class guy who she, she's sort of interested in. Right. And right when you see that, I think of Downton Abbey and you definitely see archetypes, right? You see archetypes on these shows. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. So, yeah. And this one, they really telegraph it in this one, like the opening scene, you know, where it's like, Obviously, she's headstrong, and he's like, oh, this is something different. Like, it is kind of like the uh, – I'm trying to think of an NFL quarterback who telegraphs passes. But it is like you see it coming from like a mile Jimmy away. Jimmy Garoppolo? 
Yeah, sure, Jimmy T. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you do you remember when we went to the Dickens Fair? It's it's in the Bay Area at the Cow Palace. How could I yeah. forget? Yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, this is the like the same stuff. I guess the way I process shows like Bridgerton, nostalgia, escapism, playfulness. It just feels like comfort TV to me. I think that's why I like it. I know, like my sister, she's really into Parks and Rec and shows like that for for comfort TV. For whatever reason, these these shows just remind me of going to the Dickens Festival or whatever. You know, something comfortable about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So um, right. before we go to a break, I was going to say actually, there is speaking of the Dickens Fair. There's something called the Queen's Ball. I don't know if you've heard about this. I did a little bit of research on it when they referenced it in the article. And it's, I guess it's just like the Dickens Fair or the Ren Fair. And they're doing that with Bridgerton now. The only difference is they're getting all dressed up and they're all in on this, this whole Bridgerton theme. So I thought that was kind of funny that people are, are going all in on it. Yeah, I can see people getting into that, especially like young people. You know, you get to kind of wear like a, you know, some cool uh, get ups. And uh, yeah, I could see that being a thing. I think they mentioned too, they have like Bridgerton themed uh, merchandise and stuff. So they're kind of getting that angle of it. So For sure. Yeah, I could see that being kind of a big thing. So John, let's take a quick break and then we'll go into the actual article, the interview from this magazine. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back after the music. Welcome back to the Classics Podcast. So, John, let's talk about the interview, this article uh, from the Smithsonian Magazine. The contributors are Amanda Ray Prescott, who's a journalist who covers period dramas and race, which would be totally relevant to Bridgerton, and Juliet Wells, who's an expert on English literature. They're basically discussing the popularity of this era, talking Jane Austen, who we're both not too familiar with, um, and connecting it to Bridgerton. So one big idea from this article is that Jane Austen always grabs the public attention. And now with better productions, fantasy interpretations, and new writers, not just Jane Austen, but like the writer from Bridgerton, we've seen sort of this increase in popularity. I guess you could say Downton Abbey is a good example of that as well. Uh, I sort of I agree with this, John. It seems like the new period drama is more exciting. It's faster paced more engaging. So I was just thinking like, what, what do you think about that, John? Is, is that what's, is, is that grabbing you also? Um, I don't know. I think the first, the first season of it, because of the, all the sexual scenes and stuff and then how over the top they were and everything. And sometimes like uncomfortably long where you're like, all right, we get it. Um, but I think that that was just kind of like, there was a shock value to it. But I think that, yeah, maybe like the way that it looks visually. Plus, uh, I think it's the music, man. I think it's that uh, classical goes pop, the stuff you hear at weddings now, like every time, where it's like a contemporary song, but it's like classical music. And that's kind of how the whole thing is set up, where it's like a contemporary like look to it, but it's like a classic, like kind of like underlay kind of i don't i don't know i don't know if i'm using that word correctly but kind of like a, a mashup of like old stuff and new stuff yeah it does it is kind of reflected in how the the music is played classical music or classical style but with a modern twist i, I didn't think about the music that much but you're right 
that that is a cool element to the show. It really does grab you. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on on all those, those points. To me, the first season was. I don't like the TV mature stuff. You know, I don't. I didn't really enjoy all those scenes. I thought it was too much. So season two, I enjoyed because it just seemed like a normal show. You know, I feel like you reach a. I don't know. I don't know what audience really likes that, but I. It's kind of like Game of Thrones, where with Game of Thrones they were trying to attract a big audience with you know the TV mature stuff. But for me, I just don't don't like it too much. So I'm. Yeah. But I could see a lot of people gravitating towards that, at least initially. I think it definitely, and it gets people talking about yeah. it, where even if that's not why you watch the show, it's like why you'd bring it up to somebody else. Like, And so maybe that kind of creates a buzz you know, around it, even if it doesn't add a whole lot to the actual, to the actual show. That's a good point. It does, it does create buzz for sure. It creates buzz and the buzz draws attention and then a lot of casual viewers watch it. So that's true. So that the fact that uh, the article also emphasizes that Jane Austen tends to combine humor with moral seriousness, kind of like Charles Dickens. People tend to like that style. I know I do. So I think those are all sort of like important points that the article makes. On a totally different note, another big idea in the article is that, and this is related to race and how actors engage with shows like this now, but I guess Hamilton sort of changed the period drama genre, the whole period drama uh, game. So we now have minorities who are included in period dramas. I didn't make that connection, the Hamilton-Bridgerton connection myself. So I was really interested in that point from the from the uh, article. There's a definite similarity with both. They both focused on uh, minority actors. And I know this kind of gets politicized. I remember that was a thing from season one where they were talking about black actors playing white characters basically. And I don't know. Do you remember that? Um, yeah, I remember people yeah, making comments about that or you read something about that or yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but I guess there's on the practical level, they mentioned in the article that actors who are minorities, whether they're African from Africa or from uh, India or wherever, you know, the middle East, I suppose they, I, I guess they, couldn't find a lot of work in England with these with these period dramas because they would be stereotyped basically, and at least now they can be major stars. So apparently, a lot of these actors were moving to the U.S. to find work. So I didn't realize that, but it makes a lot of sense. Also, and I, I want to hear from you on this, John. I think like the characters, the the Sharma sisters, being Indian, actually added to the complexity of the story on Bridgerton. What do you think? To me, the Indian factor in a sense was it just made it more interesting it made it more like the british empire you know in, in history so I, I just i saw history when i saw the sharma sisters what do you think um i think to me the only reaction i've had with the race thing or with any of the background of the characters is just the fact that it never gets mentioned you know because i think you see like a period piece then you see like you know, somebody of a different race, like somebody's going to have like an issue with it or make a comment about it, but they kind of never really address it. And that's kind of like what makes it kind of like not jarring, but kind of stand out is that they just kind of like treat the characters as the characters kind of a thing. And I think that the thing that was, I don't know, I don't want to use jarring again, but kind of jarring was when 
they actually do kind of mention it. They mention something about like, I mean, it's been a while, but something like if she doesn't find the perfect guy or something, she has to go back to India or something like that. I don't know. I could be wrong. There was something like that where they actually mentioned where they're from. And I was like, oh, so they are acknowledging that, you know, there's like some kind of background or difference. But yeah, I don't know. What what do you think? Like, what do you think added to it? Well, I think just the idea of the show. Oh, well, so what adds to it, I think it's just it feels it feels like there's a history there with the British Empire. And I just remember this documentary that I've, I showed my students years ago. I haven't seen it in years, but one of the big focuses is that when the British came to India, it was just men coming over and they totally immersed themselves in Indian culture, wore Indian clothes, married Indian women. And then the government basically saw this as going against imperialism and British values. So they sent over women to end that. So it just reminded me of that in certain ways. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because, you know, men are going to get married. They're going to, they're going to come over and establish themselves. It's just a natural thing that people do. And so I, I think we think of maybe social Darwinism or ideas related to race and racism, but really I think people are kind of, it's, it's normal to, to go over and marry. So I was thinking about that. And also the idea that if you, I think it's mentioned in season one, but the the queen and her husband, that's a cross-cultural intermarriage. So you're basically, what they're doing is they're establishing that as a norm, you know? And that, I don't know, I know it's emphasized in season one more. Doesn't really get mentioned in season two though. No. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's sort of what I, where I was going with that. But I think you know it's it's really it does add to the story in my opinion. And there's a you know the race class thing is always sort of interesting in my opinion. So uh, let's take a one more quick break and then we'll come back with um, a few of the just talking about the show and what you think about recreating these shows and diverging from the actual book. So we'll come back in a second on the Classics Podcast. We'll see you after the music. Welcome back to the Class X podcast. So, John, one topic that I wanted to cover is this idea of should you change from the original script? The original script being the book in this case. So I like this quote from the article. It says, sometimes historical recreation or just being obsessed with it to the point of having no creativity just does not make a more interesting production. And I guess that goes with the race idea. They're they're recreating something. It's more creative and it makes it more fascinating. I like this quote because some of the book purists out there, I guess, and I, I think you see this with everything. Game of Thrones had the same thing. Uh, but these purists kind of for, forget about creativity and they get mad when shows like Bridgerton leave the original script. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting quote. Um, I, what are you, Any thoughts on that? Do you think that a story should stick with the original script? Uh, did you feel that? I don't, did you read the Game of Thrones books? Um, I listened to a couple of them. and But like for me, it's really hard to listen to uh, fiction, especially like when the guy, the guy who did it for like Audible was awesome you know but it's like he does these different voices and sometimes i can't remember who's who's what voice so then if you're driving and you kind of get distracted for a second by like trying to stay on the road 
then you kind of like lose track of like what's going on a little bit. And so like I listened to it and like I remembered a lot of it when I'd watch the when I'd watch the shows. But to be honest, like it doesn't really bother me when a when a show's way different from a book. Like there was a book that I loved that I read a couple years ago. It's called Station Eleven. And they just had like a um like they did a an HBO show on it. And on the HBO show, they pass where the book like ends and they keep going. Like like they just stretch the story out like really far. And there's a bunch of stuff that's like different, you know, in that way. And it didn't bother me at all. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like people get kind of weird about it. I think where they, um, you know, get like really attached to like a story and think like you have to, you know, recreate it. But to me personally, it doesn't bother me. What do you think? Yeah, it doesn't bother me either. They're just two different mediums. It seems, seems like you, when you write a book, you're writing it, it's 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 its own medium. You you really have to you know a book is written and there's a lot of dialogue, lots of characters, lots of descriptions of the environment. Uh, a show just can't do that. So you have to maybe cut corners yeah. in a sense. And a show is just focused on different things. So I think it makes sense. It's almost, in my opinion, it's natural. It's natural to change the story. And I like the idea that you know what? It's actually not creative if you're just cutting and pasting it's kind of plagiarism you know yeah it's, it's funny if you think about it that way right that people get mad that they're not plagiarizing from the book right and there's some stuff that like internal dialogue like how do you do that unless you just have like a narrator or something you know and a, so you have to come up with different ways to show different things about characters and sometimes they'll take multiple characters and kind of combine them into one you know, kind of thing, which I think they did on Game of Thrones, you know, like just to kind of streamline it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I never have an issue with that being being a thing. And same thing, too, with like where they kind of get into the historical accuracy. I think the, the quote you read was kind of touching on that, right? Like, you know, being true to like history. That stuff doesn't bother me at all. Like it's an entertainment show. It's on Netflix. Like if they have people of a race that wouldn't normally be in that, you know, in that station in life, like it doesn't really... I don't understand the anger at it or the the need to make uh, a show that's produced to entertain people be like, you know, like a documentary or something. Like, I don't understand that. I think people get really attached. Like you said, they get really attached to the original story. And they don't realize that most people are not as attached to the story or haven't even read the story. So it's not it's not a big deal to most of us. And that's something that book readers tend to forget. I've been there with a lot of the the Agatha Christie books. She'll she'll have her books, and then the the T, like B, BBC does a lot of remakes. Sometimes it goes too far, like with the Poirot series. They they made a few movies, um, I believe American movies, and it did. I, I guess for as a me myself, a book reader of that, the character was so different from the but this is a detective genre you know so the character was so different it just wasn't the hercule perot from the books they made him into mm -hmm. an action hero basically and so i couldn't oh, yeah. watch it it just seemed really ridiculous to me but i guess i i, I see both sides but with a show like bridgerton i i'm with you it doesn't bother me very much so john let's actually go into this the show a little bit so season one or season two a little bit of a rapid fire to end this podcast season one or season two, which one did you like more and why? Um, I'll say season one, 
And I think season two, I just ended up like not even really watching it, to be honest. I mean, like I was just like in the room on my phone. Mm. So and I don't even know why I would pinpoint it. I don't know if it just kind of like felt like the same thing. And I was like, all right, like, I don't know. I just wasn't as invested. How about you? Well, season one was dominated by a different actor. So I could see that mm-hmm. being the fact that he wasn't on the show at all. Because now he's he's basically a movie star now, and he doesn't want to do the show. It's sort of beneath him, I guess. So he he decided not to do the show. That changed it up a lot. I actually like season two more because there's certain things they did in season two that I enjoyed. And I'm going to go into that. To me, basically, I like that the fact that there's less of the whole you know sex, TV mature stuff that was getting over the top for me and kind of cartoonish. I, I just didn't like that very much. I also like the bridge there seemed to be a lot of uh focus on the bridgerton siblings like there was that episode where they're playing the game i don't know what they call the game it's kind of like a cricket easiest sport in the world where it's like you hit the mat with the mallet and the ball is that your time yeah (laughs) anytime i've ever picked up one of those it's a hundred percent accuracy it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I don't understand how it becomes a complex. John, John played college golf, so John's. Uh, <laughs> but it's not. Well, I mean, college-ish golf. It's like Division Three, but it's no. I'm serious. It's like I don't understand how you could not hit it through the gate. But, but I, I like the, the sibling rivalry, though. I, I don't. Know, I, I like. I had. A, I have a lot of siblings, so I, I can identify whenever I see like birth order theory or whatever, you know, oh, which okay, I, yeah. I thought was a big theme in it. So I, I like that. I also enjoyed the lady whistle down stuff. So how she operates, mm-hmm. it was lacking the mystery. Do you think they gave away the mystery too early? Maybe that's why I like the first one. Cause there was kind of that gossip girl kind of thing. Like who is it? You know? Um, and I think too, the second one, it does kind of feel like you're getting almost the JV team just because like that dude left, you know, and like, you're kind of getting like the siblings um but yeah i think so i think if they could have tried to milk that and like kept it a mystery yeah i think it is more interesting to try and figure out who it is rather than like watch the person try to pull it off you know so yeah i think that maybe maybe they should have kept that close to the vest you know another season or something yeah another season maybe i think they they revealed it too early i was surprised when they revealed it it mm-hmm. and also i was surprised by the character who ended up being whistled down i thought it should have been lady danbury the older woman who's like the matchmaker i thought she should have oh, been okay. she just she just seemed like a perfect candidate or the the woman who works in the shop the clothing shop she also seemed like a good whistle down character now mm-hmm. s- sticking with whistle down john baby face or heel is she is she good or bad what do you think because i have i have an opinion i'm gonna i'm gonna go strong on this one <laughs> all right then I think we might be in the same uh, parking our cars in the same garage because to me, the pity party like kind of thing gets old real quick on a TV show. And so to me, it's just like, shut up. <laughs> um, is that, is that where you're going? Well, actually no, but I agree that there is a lot of, uh, yeah, pouting, I guess. And uh, so I, and I guess next season is going to focus on her and Colin, which uh, interesting. We'll see how it goes. But I think she's selfish too. To me, she doesn't seem to care about how her writing affects other people. You know, her friend Eloise, yeah. like the whole that whole season, she's just gossiping about her friend, and then her friend calls her yeah. out. And isn't that 
heelish, bad. You know. It is. It's very selfish. Yeah. Now here's the thing. All right, is Colin gonna fall for the for Lady Whistle? Colin's into her. I don't think so. I don't see it. Well, <laughs> not, not to be shallow, but I just I don't know. Colin, I I think I think he is. I think that's the whole story that Colin falls for the Lady Whistledown character. But I guess we'll see how they they figure that out because he does seem. It seems like poor writing if he falls for her because he totally ignores her the whole time. He doesn't have any interest in her except as a friend. And then all of a sudden to be yeah. romantically interested, it doesn't really make sense. As So I think they're, it would be better if they didn't fall for each other. Though I know a lot of the watchers of the show want that to happen. Based on the podcast I, I skim through or actually you know go through really intensely, they, they basically, um, they all want them to get together. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know about that one. They just don't seem weird. Yeah, they don't seem yeah, like a couple. Usually there's, yeah, usually, too, there's, like, a tension, you know, like a like a forbidden fruit kind of yeah. thing, like, or you can't, you know, because of our families, who they are, we just can't, you know. Like, you get that in uh, Downton Abbey, you know, like, where there's kind of, like, this thing where it's, like, kind of always existing, you know, in the background, and you know it's there, rather than just, like, one character ignoring, you know, the other one. Yeah. So it didn't make I sense. hear you. Uh, it was also kind of strange when he met with his ex lover and she just sort of criticized him. Like, what, why are you here? And I'm moving. I thought that was just an odd scene. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hmm. The one who had the baby. I think it's been too long. Yeah. He meets with, you remember the, the, the woman who had the baby and she pretended that she was pregnant with his kid. In season one, no. Okay, yeah. They they just approached <laughs> no. it. It was just a very odd scene. I thought I thought that whole thing was a little odd. Maybe they're just trying to establish a character, and they forced a scene there. So where do you want season three to go? Because we have Eloise, who's the the sort of a feminist character, Benedict the artist, who's my favorite character. Actually, Benedict and Eloise are my favorites. I like both. Then you have Colin the youngest, who I guess will be with Whistledown. So I, I like. I would like it if the show went through with uh, Eloise or with Colin because I just like those characters. Am I throwing out foreign names to you right now, John? Or, or do you remember the Yeah, characters? I feel like I need like the, uh, remember that game Guess Who? Like with like the board with like all the pictures, you know? I feel like I need some uh, visual aids. Um, I, I wish they would just cut that one guy a check and just bring him back and just say, hey, look, I know you're a movie star, but nobody's seen you in anything since Bridgerton wrapped in season one. So it's obviously not working out. Just you can come back. We'll we'll pay you more. Give you a bigger trailer, and uh, let's let's get back on the on the varsity squad. So background on John and his who he ends up enjoying, you know, watching in sports. Let's say if the guy has talent and no work ethic, John's all yeah. in on him, and I think he's he's a thousand percent. That's the way he's doing right now with the with the Duke. The Duke has yeah. all the talent, but he doesn't want to show up. So John is, you know, he's basically, <laughs> I see that. He has the measurables. Yeah. Yeah. I want the talent. I want top tier. Uh, yeah. Jumping out of the gym. I want that guy. And yeah, I thought it was more entertaining when he was on there. So bring him back. And when they have the, the actress who played um, his love interest, yeah. I guess she was like the main character, right? Like you can tell, like she's really good. Yeah. Like, come on, you know, like get her going. 
She so she's that would be that would be my hope that they could somehow bring him back. She's sort of the wise sister now, right? In the in the whole thing. One thing about the 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 show that I thought was a little bit I liked season two a lot, but I thought that they dragged out the two the story. I think Anthony is his name, Anthony and uh, and Kate. They 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 drew out that story a lot for a long time. It seemed like yeah for her sister Edwina to not ever notice until that wasn't realistic. I don't know what you. I, no. I know you watched it with with your wife, right? I don't know if yeah. you guys were commenting on that, but I don't know. Uh, me and my wife were just baffled that she would not see that. It was so obvious, and they kind of made a joke yeah. about it. Edwina would say, "How did I not notice this?" But it was very. It, it was unrealistic. Yeah, I agree. I thought that the whole time. I think because they telegraphed it from episode one, scene one you know, what the tension was going to be. The thing I couldn't figure out too is why was he, so that guy was just trying to get with the little sister because she got the, she, she was, what'd they call it? The eye of the tiger or whatever, like the bell of the ball. There was like some title. Like the, the, she, she won this award that I can't remember the title either, but uh, we'll call it the eye of the tiger. So she got the eye of the tiger yeah. and uh, she ends up, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's a status thing. I think it's all status. I think that was it. Anthony that's is that's what that's what drives him, right? So they're telling this story that Anthony is driven by status. Kate, I think that was her name. Kate was driven by they're both driven by duty and obligation to the point where they're ignoring their own feelings. And they went, I, I get it, you know, but you can keep you can go too far with it. it give me a couple yeah. episodes of that. Don't give me a whole season of that. Yeah. Yeah, see, um, I hear it seemed kind of unrealistic. Well, John, I mean, that's uh, I think we're going to try to do the wire next in the next week or two and talk about uh, the sort of the legacy of that show. And we found an article in the New York Times about that. So we can talk about that. So another show podcast and uh, any last thoughts on Bridgerton? Um, Nope. Excited for I season three. Pretty much sums it up. Are you uh, ready for season three? They're filming it. I think it might be a, I think at best it'll be one of those shows that like my wife will watch and I can tolerate enough to be on my phone, like in the same room. Okay. And so I'll probably be doing a lot of a uh, fantasy baseball lineup switching during season three. All right. So that's a, it's a big uh, thumbs in the middle from John and <laughs> I, I'm waiting, yeah. I'm waiting for season three. I'm excited. I like the show. I think for me, it's always about the experience. So the show and then the podcast that go with the show. It just kind of ex- gotcha, it extends yeah. it for me. I, I think I like the podcast yeah. more than the shows most of the time. <laughs> oh, I got to that point with uh with the Bald Move podcast with oh yeah Game of Thrones. I like the podcast. I was ready for whenever the episode dropped, you know, like that was kind of like the almost like the main course after a while. For sure. Bald Move is a great podcast. Well, thanks for listening to the Class X podcast. We'll see you next week.